The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tuity Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language, and I will not go to my room. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Friday the 13th edition. We're in the middle. We're going with Friday the 13th, the final chapter. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man trying to take the the hatchet out of his mask, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hi, Tom. I'm a dead fuck? <laughs> All improvised. Well, that's it. It's like the opposite of cookie-cutter dialogue, isn't it? It's improvised idiosyncrasies. Yes. <laughs> and what strikes you want to make your movie idiosyncratic? Just add yeah. Crispin Glover. That's my <laughs> add, advice. Add a, well, just add a Glover, right? I mean, yeah. You can... <laughs> yeah, right. I feel like I feel like he could. Uh, you know, if you've ever seen Diamonds Are Forever, you'll know that. Uh, right. There's a, that that works for both father and son. But, there you go. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, as I'm watching that scene, I always have it in the back of my mind that it's probably improvised. Behind the scenes information confirms that. Um, but when I um, when I think about improvised content in film and television, it's usually more guided than that, right? It's like yes, the, the right. actors are working to a set outline, like in Christopher Guest mockumentaries or on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Curb Your Enthusiasm comes to mind, right? Or Mike Lee, the you know the filmmaker Mike Lee, who improvises, has actors improvise scenes and then writes a screenplay based on what they based do. on that. Right. But this doesn't this this scene doesn't feel like it has any end point that they're trying to reach or <laughs> no, or yeah. that they're trying to generate anything substantive. And yet, it I becomes I, it becomes part of the integral part of a character throughout the rest of the movie. It's kind of the most important scene in the movie. And <laughs> I, I guess just for them being two actors who are thinking about their characters and have read the script and are on the set, they could, you know, th- this idea of like, I'm a dead fuck couldn't be thematically more on point mm-hmm. for, for this movie and for the series as a whole because you know what <laughs> this is a series where sex and violence kind of become synonymous yeah and sure. so that idea of i'm a dead fuck is like the perfect oh, marriage man. of the two i love the the question that crispin glover has when he first hears it you could you know there's this moment you you first think it's improvised because yeah. you have this moment of of a recognition from him <laughs> not understanding fundamentally what he's accusing him of absolutely but responding genuinely i i like the moment is pretty glorious but like, even, in even, the moment even in the scene they they break it down conceptually it works on two levels you know yeah. you know in the <laughs> yes. conversation they're having he's just saying you're a lousy lay lousy lay right but in the big scheme of the movie we know that 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 both of these guys are going to die because they're because that's how these films go down and neither of them are women or virgins R- right so, right <laughs> so and, and on top of it yeah if if you fuck it all you'll be dead yeah um 
it just feels like there's something in the water on this movie that leads to uh, what I've already described as cinematic lightning in a bottle moments. This scene is absolutely one of them, but there's, right. I would say, a, at least f- conservatively four more in the movie that I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> yes, we'll get to them. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Crispin Glover dancing is one for you because yeah. it is well, for me. <laughs> yeah, but it. it I mean, it, it's it is absolutely. And it comes out of left field, and it's all all the things that are great about the movie. It's offbeat, it's quirky, but it doesn't have that air of smug satisfaction that that yeah. a lot of self consciously quirky movies have. Sure. I guess because it's trying to be a, you know, it's a, trying to be a straight down the middle horror movie, and that really helps mm-hmm. because it doesn't start smelling itself as a as a self consciously quirky film. Yet it is, you know, and and Crispin Glover, when I watch his performance in this movie, it makes me think of you know, comparable performances in Napoleon Dynamite or something. like. Sure, you know, yeah, right. It's, you know, the well, first time I saw Napoleon Dynamite, I I thought it, you know, I, I was disgusted by it because I thought that they were exploiting a developmentally disabled man. <laughs> and I have that same feel, you know, I'd obviously know Crispin Glover as an actor in a way that I didn't know that uh, that John Hedder was at, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have the same feeling here, I think, that it just like, just we're getting a kind of it just feels so non-actory yeah right. everything he's doing on screen which i guess is underlined by the fact that he as with napoleon dynamite he's working incredibly hard to yeah make to it, pull make it, off, it to make it so way. yes yeah. exactly <laughs> well ladies and gentlemen we're talking friday the 13th we're dropping numbers the final chapter we haven't we haven't given any discussion to that but the titles go from numbers to this one with no number to Roman numerals. Yeah. They really run the gamut of sequels, which I really enjoy. But uh, the movie's directed by one Joseph Zito. Mm-hmm. This guy's been around. Uh, clearly, he, he's got one muse in, in a certain Chuck Norris. Because we're talking about missing in action and Invasion USA, Delta Force One, The Last Patrol. So basically, he's he's the director that that made Chuck Norris look respectable. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. And once you once once they part ways, and then I think I'm it's remembering Walker's this Texas Ranger time. I'd have to look this up again, but uh, I remember uh, another Chuck Norris movie because Blood Rage is on his list <laughs> of the movies he's done. That's and a I'm better trying... title for this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If it's the one I'm thinking of, it's a sort of a, it's sort of a Jason before Jason. It was like a guy who just couldn't be killed. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. But well, there's uh, also the the Prowler is the. Is I was the gonna say the main precedent. Yeah. The the main precedent is the Prowler, and then he's got a couple others: Red Scorpion and Power Play. But so Joseph Zito is one of those kind of yeoman directors. He's been around, and uh, you know he's just quietly trying to do his thing yeah now uh let's upset you because this movie uh, has 24 percent on rotten tomatoes I knew, I knew it was coming you know <laughs> like all these movies yeah, but we've people really watch this movie and they don't they, they don't get it they don't even think well it's got a couple of great performances in it at the very least mm-hmm. right it's way yeah more right than that but how can you leave that go wow Corey feldman is you know and is a Killing it. An, an actor beyond his years and Crispin Glover's... At one point, just, literally. 
<laughs> and Crispin Glover is, you know, uh, obviously going to be something uh, new and exciting. All right, yeah. I don't understand why, why at the very least, those couldn't be your takeaways from this movie. <laughs> sure. Well, the audience didn't care. Budget of two... Budget yeah. of uh, two point six million. Opening weekend eleven point one in the USA and the world thirty two point nine million dollars. I want to say it's the high water mark for the ones we're watching. Well, that's the the benefit of the title, isn't it? It's like I have to go back go, and look. Go go see it now, because mm-hmm. this is yeah. the last one. Last time we'll be doing this, everyone. <laughs> yeah, we're done. It's like the 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 the, the zenith of false marketing, isn't it? <laughs> I'm wrong. Oh. Part three got thirty six point six. We discounted the uh, the luster of three D. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, that's you know the you know it's a. I'll I'll take them at face value that they thought it would gen they genuinely thought it would end here, but it's also a marketing strategy, isn't it? It's like a, calling it the final chapter rather than part four is to sort of say that you know this is the last time you'll be able to see a. Well, I also think it it goes to how these movies were produced because they, you know, with the exception of two and three, they're always kind of bringing in a new director. But they, they, you know, Mancuso Jr. is pretty much always there Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. up until five. He takes Mm -hmm. kind of a back seat, but, you know, he's there. And so there's some kind of continuity within that. So he claims. But he claims not to have witnessed some of the appalling behavior of Danny Stein. Behavior of its director. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do like is that they give a lot of autonomy to their directors. Yeah, it I, seems I think like that's he essential. he lets them go with with their ideas, and so uh, part of part of you know I think they really did think this was going to be the last one. But when Joseph Zito said, "Well, I'm going to have Corey Feldman open his eyes and look down the barrel of the camera." Yeah. To finish this movie, as a nod to hey, we, maybe we're not done. That's that was his choice, and you know, yeah, it, it, it's they just, let it they let it stand pat. I like I I like that. It's just smart storytelling and 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 good directing that you know, I can get that shot. So let's get it. it just in case someone needs it. Yeah. So let's do it. <laughs> Yeah. Listen, in, in right. case someone down the line, this really isn't the last movie, and then in case someone needs it, you know, it's the Roger Corman philosophy. Mm-hmm. That's a great wall. Let's film that wall. We'll use it somewhere. Let, I might use that wall. I'll use that <laughs> wall somewhere. Right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm all, I'm all in favor of those kind of um, uh, game day choices, mm-hmm. and that's what you hire someone like Joseph Zito for, I think. Sure. And he's clearly able to capture these, these sort of spontaneous moments on film well yeah very well i mean that's Mm -hmm. the that that's that's my big that's partly the reason why this is the top of my list because looking back at my notes you know i have one or two reservations about the final chapter and part two and pretty much nothing for part six (laughs) (laughs) right like nothing nothing as substantial but i still think this is i think this is a better movie because it 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 transcends those two movies at points Mm -hmm. and so it's like what they do the success of what they do on screen transcends those those two other movies but those two other movies might might be technically better than this Mm -hmm. And I think I spoke to this in our uh, ranking episode, but 
this movie is the movie that survived the zeitgeist. Yeah. In in terms of uh, how the how 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 the United States of America remembers Friday the Thirteenth sequels. So, I I can't I can't take that away from the movie. You know. No, and and it's pitched from the very from the very beginning as a, as a kind of testament movie that you know the. the you, you can make fun of the final chapter because there are numerous movies after this, but mm-hmm. um, it, it is, it is, it's structured to, you know, it's structured. If this is the last Jason movie, we're not going to leave anything on the table. Right. Yeah. And we're going to give you plausible deniability. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that it's all over if you want it. And mm-hmm. if you don't, if you want to go on, you can. So um, more power to you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's clear from, well, I mean, we can go straight into it. Yeah, I mean, that's we're clear gonna... from from the recap montage. That I was going to say this. It's it's a summer, you know. It's it's a it's a recap of of the series of all the movies, of right? All the movies. One to th- you know, this is this is the final chapter. So here's one to three. Yeah, that's the the idea behind it. And again, you know, rather than going with the 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 more conventional chunk of the ending of the last movie, which three did, they do something. And two did. Well, two, two did it in a more innovative way, you know, with the, by breaking it up as a dream sequence and here as well, they've that's true. They've thought about how they want to present the material at least rather than just replaying the ending. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it sort of starts midway through two, but it, it, and it, then it know... turns into a, a right. you know, like a, uh, summary, mm-hmm. and I think it speaks to what you it's were saying about on Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, right. I think it speaks to what you were saying about uh, the good intention of having this be the last movie. Here are yeah. all the movies you've seen up to this point. Probably shouldn't have tried to relitigate the most confusing aspects of the storyline, though. If it, if if <laughs> if I was in charge of this montage, I wouldn't have anything with Jason as a boy in the lake. In the lake, because it just throws everything else off. <laughs> it fucks shit up. If we, but <laughs> this would have been the perfect time to erase that from popular memory. Right. They, um, we're and not, it's, we're not sure if Jason's a water zombie, but don't worry about it. We're gonna tackle it in two movies. Right. Exactly. They do something <laughs> towards the end of this movie, which is is equally as problematic for that timeline. And it also reminds me of like how this would be different if they tried to do a recap like this today because mm-hmm. now they have the, the 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 technology and the uh how should i put it laziness where they would happily put <laughs> like digitalize jason and put him into the ending of friday the 13th mm-hmm. they right. wouldn't even necessarily need digital to do that but you know they they they're just going where the footage takes them it's like what story can we tell with the footage that we have yeah and i like that I like that approach. And it begins as the sort of salient facts of the story, and then it just descends into a best kills montage. Yeah, right. Which I right. think is is like again, it's like the I don't have a problem. The storytelling tensions of the series in a in a right. microcosm, isn't it? It's sort of like you're not really here for a It's sum it sums up yeah. why people come to the series in the first place. Yeah, you're not here for a coherent timeline, are you? You're here <laughs> to see disabled you're here to pe- see this. Yeah, to see disabled people fall downstairs. Yes. And this is the the third time that um Betsy Palmer 
has appeared. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, the, this is the third generation copy of the footage that, that she was first <laughs> featured in, in part two. Yeah. So, it's, she's, she's, I a love spe- that. she's a spectre of a spectre. And in the, <laughs> in, and in world, she was a spectre at the, t- in that scene. Yeah. Well, and we're not there yet, but at a certain point in this movie, we're going to, we're going to continue the kind of, mythology of the movie by uh giving her her first name that's right yes yeah yeah we're gonna see pamela pamela Voorhees. yeah yeah pamela which is also the well, name of the final girl isn't it in this oh in the next movie sorry in the next movie not this movie yeah no more block letters for the title um right exactly yes although we're it gonna... did remind it the exploding subtitle did remind me a lot of of three or two. Yeah, yeah, two. Yeah, not three. Definitely not three. Not three. <laughs> There's no community theater smoke and uh, disco ball lighting here. Um, it also It's also very police squad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. I have the same note. But, but I already, like, the movie's barely started and we've already, we've already looped back to the second movie twice. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether, you know, uh, we was talking about the third movie going back to the first movie, whether there's something to be said for the fourth movie. Going back to the second? I- imitating the second <laughs> sequel, the first sequel. Because, That's pretty good. Uh, you know, when you look at which which of the movies are kind of spiritually, or as you use your term, cosmically connected to each other, <laughs> to me, two and four are, are bedfellows. Okay. Spiritually. Definitely, you know, definitely skipping. Well, they the feel, three. yeah, <laughs> they feel more grounded than some of these other movies. Definitely, yeah, yeah. We're I t- made a note that uh, after we get the, t- I like the cool red blood of the title, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then we get the final chapter explosion. But uh, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote afterwards. I said, "Hey, we can afford helicopters now." Yeah. Um, so another <laughs> another couple of things about the title sequence. We're told we're sure. going to get female twins. Uh, so you know, I've already. No. I'm, I'm assuming this is as deviant as I think it is, um, and it is. Uh, <laughs> the return of Tom Savini. You know, mm-hmm. ra- basically wrapping up the franchise. They believed by <laughs> bringing right. back the the makeup auteur of the original movie. Uh, and, and now, like now, it reads based on characters created by. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like yeah. the story is still in development, so everyone who wrote on the first three movies still needs to be credited because we've not <laughs> established anything. We, every right. movie, nothing's we add, concrete yet. <laughs> yeah, every movie we add something that is just as essential as what came before it in terms of <laughs> in terms of the story. Um, so it really, it really does feel like you know, uh, collective writing. Hmm. Um, but yes, as as you're right, helicopters, ambulances, police cars. Once again, we're beginning in the aftermath of the last movie, but this time with the with the location rather than the characters. Yeah. So that's the twist. Mm-hmm. And I love the sardonic humor that begins this film, where the the the, the um, medics come in and say, "All dead, some emergency." They're all dead. You know? Yeah, some emergency. I have the note too. That perspective <laughs> is such a nice touch because it, I get, like the alternative is you, you know, you've got like five minutes with the survivors, and <laughs> then we just move on. So I like, I like the use of the of the people coming in and 
you know, cleaning up the mess. Absolutely. We see these scenes through their perspectives and right. I think it's a really good choice. And again, it sets the it sets that kind of sardonic, slightly offbeat <laughs> tone. I guess I guess it kind of sets up five too, because they're gonna play major characters. So Yeah. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, completely. Yes, <laughs> if you're looking for continuity, then then there it is. There's and the, and I wanted to ask you about one of the choices. Okay, when the when Jason's let's say corpse is being is being dragged through <laughs> uh, is be on the gurney going through the hospital corridor, uh, we see like a like a family room. Where there's a there's someone there's a girl crying and then her parents or a chaplain or something are around her. Yeah. Is that supposed to be Chris and her family? Does it oh, matter make... either way? I guess it doesn't matter. But yeah. I I was I, like I, was I like... didn't make the connection. Okay. Because they they and they don't linger on it. You just see it. Yeah. Right. Fleetingly, but like passing by. I wonder whether Joseph Zito was like, if you want that, I to think be Chris. It can be Chris. I think my attention was taken more by. The, the coroner, because I was like, hey, that's fucking Fackler from Police Academy. <laughs> yep. And it's also uh, the rabbi from Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah. And he also looks like uh, Dr. Leo Spichemin from uh, from 30 Rock. Um, oh, wow. You're right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, but I'll I... tell you this, you know, uh, p- part I think part of, of horror movies is sort of... Uh, you know, you can you can find shots, mm-hmm. shots that speak to you, and my my or not Michael, but Jason going into <laughs> into the cold storage. Well. Sorry, I'm on last year. Yeah, but Jason going in into the into the drawer, mm-hmm. and you see that little shot of breath coming mm-hmm. up. I dig that a lot. Yeah, all the camera choices that the having the point of view of Jason's corpse on the gurney, yeah. putting the camera on the gurney because we're. Cause our for for at least down the hallway, aren't we kind of like at crotch looking towards his face? Yeah, it's As like you know, it's I like, like yeah, it's what would become the classic ER shot, you know? Yeah, of the, of the gurney going through the. the but uh, for this series, what I like about it, and you know, we I think we I spoke to this about Joseph Zito trying to keep him dead for as long as possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what I like is during those shots, you're expecting him to get up. Mm-hmm. Why else are we at that angle? Yeah. And it just doesn't happen. And so I thought that was really smart that he said that the audience is complicit in bringing him back to life, <laughs> which I think is really they, fucking they will, cool. The audience wills him back to life. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, when we first meet the rabbi from Seinfeld, he's eating a, eating a sandwich as well. So I prefer just these... Fackler. I okay, prefer Fackler. Fackler. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you're right though that Dr. is a Leo great Mishemin. that is a great cameo of him as the rabbi it is you know elaine <laughs> <laughs> let's call her elaine <laughs> and he wondered whether it was really cheating if he pays for it um yes i love that episode so it's just these directorial scenic touches that just yeah. immediately elevate the material. Again, we go back to the idea of irrever- irreverent gallows humor, which is great because yeah. it learns the lessons of the last movie. Like you don't have to take mm-hmm. it too seriously, 
But right. this is this is where you want to be. You don't want this overworked comedy of like you know feeding a rabbit and then feeding yourself and then mm-hmm. seeing the shadow of your poop in the reflection. You know, it's like sure, it's like so like that was so overworked compared to this. This is so low key, right? But you get the same effect. But I also I you know I don't want to discount uh you know I think we've talked about this before with many other series because famously sequels are so derided but when you feel like you're in safe hands early directorially yeah it makes a big difference it really does and this is you know this is exactly what you want <laughs> from the hospital sequence by which i mean the second half of the movie in halloween 2 <laughs> and it's clearly pulling right. from that once again mm-hmm. as always but you know all these the horny hospital hijinks you know, we're going sure, back right, to the right. Halloween 2. Well, this we know this series likes to cherry pick from other um, horror franchises. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's, oh, you know, it, it does its job and then it's over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was, a, that was, so it learned, again, it learned a lesson that Halloween 2 didn't, or it learned that lesson from Halloween 2, I guess. Well, two Halloween's movie, movies didn't learn that lesson. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> 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 historically you're absolutely correct and of course, you know I, I love i love everything about the aerobics he's watching on tv it's very funny it captures <laughs> you know it's it, it it's redolent of 1984 mm-hmm. i mean i remember you know i was very young at the time but i remember those aerobics like my grandma had like a like a uh, those aerobics videos around the house and that kind of stuff and Oh you know, yeah, I mean, it's, I, al- it's I, always been por- <laughs> in my mind. It's always been porn for cowards, <laughs> right? I also, I also thought of it because I think my mom probably had the Jane Fonda workout uh, around the house, yeah. and that's a great way to to be able to watch that sort of thing and not really get into trouble. You, <laughs> you're porn for your cowards. Mom, your yeah, your mom might walk around the corner and see you just not doing any exercise, watching the Jane Fonda workout. Well, that's clearly. And she might go, say, yeah. "What the hell are you doing?" I don't know. This was just in there. <laughs> I'll say. Um, well, it's the same, and and in world, it's the same here because this doctor can't put on, you know, Debbie does Dallas. Yeah, right. But he can put this on, and it's it is, but it is no, no less titillating. I mean, you right. know, it's. The, the tits and ass shots are as transparent as porn. The only thing I question in the scene at all is 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 uh, why the nurse succumbs to this guy even a little bit at all. Yeah. That's very 1980s. The fact that she's, okay, well. Yeah. I love, but I feel, that's the thing though. I mean, it, it's, yes, it has, it has all of that. It's still a 1984 movie. But they find a way to normalize and naturalize this, the, the this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I love the moment where they mention the hospital on the TV news and they both cheer. Yeah, right. <laughs> that is that's like that's that's, cap- good. that's capturing something that you would that that like no no one would. You can't quantify that as why why that is real why that's realistic why that why, works why yeah, that feels why... real but it does right. <laughs> it's a world away from the diner owners you know they're just the the mo- the broadest most stereotypical version of right that. yes totally but these feel like real people because of all of these choices mm-hmm. and you know so there, 
the, the outburst that that he has when he does he spill something i can't remember what it Coff- is but coffee, coffee yeah and he goes jesus christmas yes and, <laughs> i like that moment and again it's like it, it doesn't feel like cookie cutter dialogue it feels like this guy's kind of idiosyncratic Absolutely. Uh, you know. But on you know, on top of it, I think the scene's punctuated by something I feel like we hadn't seen before because Jason is gonna come over and saw his neck. Yeah. And that's a that's a gangbuster Tom Savini idea. Yeah. For a nineteen eighties horror movie. You know, you, you really do wonder what the fuck is going on. How did they do that? Because you realize there's prosthetic on the neck, mm-hmm. but it looks like a real saw that it's yep. going in. So what are they doing? Yeah, it it's it feels dangerous, even even though you could see the machinations of it. Exactly. Well, that's this movie in a nutshell, I think. Mm-hmm. And it it hits all the right notes. You know, it's a it, it, he's being killed to the pony '80s lady Thundercat on the TV screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we're melding sex and violence, and as you say, we're getting some new weaponry in. It's like a yeah. method of killing we've not seen before in the series, which you know, imagine or at all in any imaginatively series, staged you know? by Tom Savini. So right, you've got some high quality horror in here too. Gutting and and you know, gutting the nurse as well. It's sort of returning yeah, right. the idea of animalistic butchering, which we haven't really had since part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's like a you know, it's a greatest hits almost, or greatest hits, if you will. <laughs> well, we're not at surprise yet. No, but... <laughs> uh, no, that's uh, yeah. So and then, I, and then I it we've... and then it ends, which again, you yeah. know, it's, it's great because you don't want to be in that hospital for the entire movie. Exactly. We're that's... gonna go on and meet Tommy's family. Yeah. So I mean. Again, I'm really impressed, by the way, when you uh, when you watch the the behind the scenes stuff, because they found the one cabin they liked, which is Tommy's house. Mm -hmm. And Joseph Zito really pushed for that house because they liked it so much. So they said, "Okay." Oh, that's right. We got to have we got to have a house next door. So we were going to have to build that house. And they were like, why don't you just find two houses close to each other? He goes, no, I like this house. And he was able to convince them. Now, budget constraints means that that the house got smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> and more difficult to film in. But like he, he just, says, is, is that house like after the hurricane, you know, after yeah, Ned Flanders right. house after the hurricane, it just <laughs> yeah. kind of, it's just, yeah. it's just this tidy, this body. <laughs> I don't think this is supposed to be like this, <laughs> but it's a cool looking house. And, and they did, you know, they did actually build a house next, next door to this other cabin. I thought that was cool. I, it's it's very cool. Also, I think, you know, I got the sense with part three that that by starting with the diner owners, they were trying to open up the story to other kinds of characters other than young, horny people. Sure, yeah. At at um, you know, training to be camp camp counselors, but this is like this is actually following through on that, right? It's because you've got yeah, right. you've got like a mother and a daughter. You never had a sense that there were families around. So it's intergenerational. It's, you know, it's Mm -hmm. co-ed. It's a new, it's, it's a new set of characters and, and uh, stories that you can tell with this setup. We've just, we've not seen this kind of family dynamic before. Yeah. Not in the series. 
No. Yeah, obviously in yeah. film it's been covered, uh, but, but but not here. And then you know, of course, like establishing Tommy as part of the the fandom. It's like a tribute to the fandom of Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, where he's introduced his he's, he's and to Tom playing, Savini himself to Tom. Yeah, because uh, he's customizing. We're going to meet him with a mask on his head. He says, I just customize it. So he's a Tom Savini surrogate. Mm -hmm. And I like, I like that it's, you know, metatextuality without breaking the fourth wall. Without winking. Yeah. Yeah. That wink, nodding or winking to the audience. It's like have just having a character who feel, you know, he's, it's a, you know, a tribute to the, to the fan community that's made probably the 13th what it is and as popular in, as it is right in a more interesting dramatic way than just reading fangoria on screen yeah before getting right. killed totally <laughs> so i think it's it's a really nice nod to yeah. you know a kind of a thank you really to the to the fans again assume again on the on the assumption that this is going to be the last in the series <laughs> that this is the, the last time we're doing this it really right. at this point at least it still feels like that Sure. Well, uh, you know, Jason's alive. We've got our first kills. We're about to meet our teenagers. Why don't we take a break? Sounds perfect. All right. We'll do that and we'll be right back, everyone. Time to talk dead fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out To A T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To A T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here. We're chatting about Tom's favorite in the series and my second favorite, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. 1984 sequel directed by Joseph Zito. Well, as I said, Tom, I mean, we're going to meet the kids, but uh, we pretty much have already talked about the dead fuck portion of the meeting of well, the kids. Yeah, I mean, my, my my overall feeling about their introduction is that they immediately, there's a contrast in the last movie. They don't feel as broadly drawn. Right. They feel awkward and strange in a way that, that is, uh, you know, feels truer of teenage characters yeah but they also the feel not... very likable yeah which i like not a lot to fit them in movies not trying to fit them in boxes straight away and that right makes a huge difference as does the acting and the right you know the mm -hmm. acting and the writing and the directing of them in these scenes yeah 
all, I think all of that's really, you know, pitched at a at a a good spot. Yeah, absolutely. And we, and, and they, I they, spoke they to this too, cemetery. but yeah, yeah, we we passed uh, Pamela Voorhees's grave. And this this helps with the consolidation of the timeline because we we've, we've for the first time we've caught up. Yeah. Right. Uh, probably the first and last time in the movies that we're covering. <laughs> I I don't I don't remember offhand whether Friday the Thirteenth, the original says it's set in nineteen seventy nine, but this it does confirm it does. Yeah. yeah, I thought I thought there was a date in it and it was seventy nine. Yeah, but because we're eight now, we're now eighty four, and the five year time jump is between one and two, but each of these movies takes place like a day one day after the mm-hmm. other from then on yeah we that's the only up. glaring omission in this movie is that uh doug is looking for his sister and it seems as though he's been looking for her for quite some time and it's been hours and it's been hours yeah <laughs> yeah well didn't the actor also question this and it just fell on deaf ears i don't I think. think he questioned it I don't know if he questioned it on set. I think I remember in the, I think I remember in the behind the scenes that Joseph Cito just kind of cops to saying I just honestly thought it was more time. <laughs> and so oh, yeah. That's great. So we just he, cut, he, we just I kind of fucked that up. He's also like doing a doing a uh um uh, uh what's his name? Walter Koenig mm-hmm. uh, on the set of Star Trek 2 where he 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 knew full well that Chekhov wasn't was in, it, yeah, right, yeah. wasn't in Space Seed, but he felt <laughs> like if he brought it up, they would take him out of the movie. You know, since you're, since you're bringing Star Trek back up, I do want to mention, because you mentioned that in the uh, ranking episode, and it's funny because... At the, That's my conspiracy theory. Yeah, but you're, the, you know the, what the, else? It's the, it's the same series. Yeah. And it's, I, I remember thinking at the time that maybe I didn't make that connection. And then I realized I absolutely did make that connection. And I just mm-hmm. forgot to talk about it in our ranking episode. Because you know what? This movie is also the start of a mini trilogy within the series itself. Abs- oh, my God. <laughs> That's not even a parallel I considered. Yep. <laughs> we keep finding them. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Add it to the list. How great is that? It's it's fascinating. Yeah, the government wants you to think they're two different series, but they're the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder how the I wonder I wonder how the the uh, next generation <laughs> movies <laughs> yeah. and the, yeah and everything from seven onwards match. Probably not that well. Not as well I, as my guess. I think that conspiracy theory falls apart at that point. We get our banana death. Oh, this is. I mean, this is great for so many reasons. She's got like a Roadrunner esque sign, which yes. has two sides to it. I, I like. The, depending on how people respond. how people respond to her, I fucking. I, it's a great joke. It's a great joke, and I love that. You know, I, I I'm a big fan of verbal humor on screen when it's done well like this. Uh-huh. Uh Because it is. It goes back to you know Roadrunner. That's why they do it in Roadrunner because it's it's very effective. I love the fact that you know the, the they. The guy, the the kids in the car are like, oh, you know, let's uh, let's pick her up, and then they see her, and it's like, oh no, no, drive yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. And rather than like, like I feel like because it feels very three, teenagery the way they do it, right? I mean, it, it right. I feel like part three in most movies of this time would leave it there, mm-hmm. and that'd be the joke. 
but she, you know, she gives them the finger. Right. And then she gets turns killed, the so sign like, around and says, "Fuck you." I like that. She's yeah. She's got the. She's got like the. They've given her agency in the scene, where they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this movie is by any means a, a, a model of no right ge- yes. gender representation, but at least it has that kind of ability to redress the the kind of the sexism of other characters. Right. And then the banana death is beautiful. <laughs> I mean. It's really good. Because did you see how they again, did that like, on the behind on... the scenes with a? Yeah, I know it's incredible. That sort of, uh, it's like a, a a soft knife that's like wrapped around her neck that comes out of the prosthetic yeah. neck. That's unbelievable. When whenever whenever they describe these apparatuses, what they did yeah, what they actually did. It's basically like. You know, something that hurts the actor, but doesn't kill them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. That was their idea of, like, <laughs> of safe practices. Well, I think... Yeah, they're, they're going to end up with hypothermia, yeah. but, you know... I think it, it's... His name's Ted White, right? That is playing Jason, I believe, in this movie. And in those behind-the-scenes in the Camp Crystal Lake memories, they talk about that first nurse that he kills... And he kind of pushes her head oh, against right, the yeah. wall, but there was like a little button on her, on that's on right, the hat yeah. that went into her head, and she she you know kind of yipe ow, and he said, "I'm really sorry. I'm just trying to be Jason, killing you. I'm not really trying to hurt you." <laughs> Gonna blow your mind again. Yes. Someone else that guy reminds me of, Sheriff Lobo. Oh, very much so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, and you brought out Sheriff Lobo, which I love. Who's also in, of course, you know, uh, Battle for the Planet. Bat- yeah. Your favorite of those movies. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Did I say favorite? No, you, no, you didn't. I, just, I don't think I just, so. I like giving you, I got giving you shit about it, even though I secretly admire you so much better than people give it credit for. Absolutely, and I totally agree. And I, I'm part of the problem. Now that I agree with. <laughs> in any context. <laughs> so, but yeah, and like, but it's all there again. The idea of sex and violence coming together. The sort of but the banana, mm-hmm. the phallic nature of the banana. Yeah, but right. Also, the cart, you know, the cartoon legacy of the banana skin and yeah, right. It's all it, like it, it's all there. It's such a great. It's not quite a first kill, but it's like an early kill. It's an early kill, and, and I, it's 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 one I of wrote those down, kills I... that doesn't really matter. Like it's it's yeah. just you know this is the equivalent of the bikers in the last film. It's like we're, these are just the training wheels, right? The, right. For, yes, exactly. For the big kills, but the training wheels are as good as the you know yeah, the, totally. the event the eventual bike. I mean, I wrote down who else, maybe other than Zito, is going to think of a banana center death. Yeah, you know, absolutely, yeah. And filming, like filming it in such an offbeat way, mm-hmm. to make it work better than that it would. I mean, with the setup that Tom Savini's got, it's gonna sure. kill quite literally with the audience. But this adding that extra touch is is just the cherry on the it's cake. It's good stuff. The kids get the kids get to their house, and the family gonna is gonna meet the teens. I kind of like that. There's this sort of worried look from the mom. Yeah. Which, you know, there's there's just a little added depth of character and and behind the, the, the Crystal Lake memories sort of describes this. There was a kind of a like a kind of cat and mouse thing going on. Between yeah. 
Joseph Zito right. and the actor playing it, where neither of them was saying that they wanted there to be some suspicion around the mother, but they were both. But, but they, they were both thinking it, along same like lines. She put it yeah. in a performance, and he and he yeah. was conscious of it as a director, but neither said anything to each other. Yeah. Which I think speaks to I think maybe that again, there's something almost telepathic going on in this set where everyone's on the same page at all times without mm-hmm. consciously saying anything to each other. I love that. And again, talking about real moments that just spill out of this film, the sandwich, the family sandwich. Yes, right. Like it, I just, I just think, like you know, all it reminds me of that, of of it really reads as one of those very real family rituals that if you're not part of it, just looks it really looks weird. weird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're not in on the joke, yeah. you think this is a family of serial killers. This is the family that maybe I don't want to spend a lot. I don't want to play a whole game of Monopoly with these people. <laughs> <laughs> and in this cabin in the woods I would be forced to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, Gordon the dog comes up and it's like this like they made a list of what I wanted to see in a Friday the 13th sequel <laughs> and now it's all on screen. And that's there for you. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, a great dog as well? My god. This movie's really spoiling me." Well, even though I cuz I wrote down cuz I I at least in my notes I wrote that Feldman is watching Samantha like a creep. But it's, it's 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 very endearing though, it's yeah exactly as as, it's as, per- far as voyeurism goes as far as voyeurism goes it's performed in such a way where you could kind of live vicariously through him yeah. at that age of how yeah. excited you would be if you looked out the window and just happened to see you know and his, his mom fucks it up for him right yeah he, mom he, does she fuck it up him. <laughs> She yeah, she pulls down the blind. He pretends to be asleep, and she pulls down the blind. It's a it's a pervert moment that Corey Feldman manages to make adorable, genuine, sweet, yeah. and funny just with his acting. Yeah, and I think I think it's I think it's absolutely brilliant, and it's a great way to sort of manage some of that seediness. Right, and that so comes with this, this kind of story. I mean, we've talked about it before. These are slasher films from the '80s, so we're going to get you know lots of boob. But uh, the very next morning, and I'll say this for both what's happening narratively in the film and then what's happening on set as well, because I love that the next morning when they're skinny dipping in the lake, Mm -hmm. you're going to expect to see plenty of boobs. But I like in the in the Crystal Lake memories, the the guy, you know, the girls, the twins, I think specifically we're talking about. Yeah. Well, we knew that this was going to happen, and the guys just kind of said, well, we're game. We'll go bottomless. And mm-hmm. so they're skinny dipping, and so they have to go through what the women have to go through with having to be naked in front of others. And I yeah. like that there was that much camaraderie on the set that... It really reads, doesn't it? It does read. Yeah, totally. It doesn't fit. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, it ma- it, it Somehow it, it makes it feel less exploitive. It feels like awkward adolescent comedy. Yeah, right. As opposed to, you know, creep. <laughs> I was going to say this in the abstract. Like, cre- creepy man in the bushes watching kids have sex. But that exact thing happens in the next movie. So yeah, I don't exactly. know why I, was, I don't know why I was making it theoretical. I was like, and I'm pretty sure that it's Daddy, Fel- uh, Daddy Steinman. Yeah, Danny Steinman. Play it on. I know. I, I'm oh, playing sure the in the bushes. 
I think he's the creep watching them licking his lips. Anyway, we'll get there. We'll All right. debate that when we get there. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's the same with the skipping ahead just a little bit because this has got to do the dance in between this, but the, the beer contest... It just they if they feel the most real out of all the sets of kids we've seen. Yeah, totally. And that's got to be about like those kinds of uh, the comfort that they feel with each other, the trust they have in each other. Mm-hmm. It makes a difference on screen because it, you you don't there's no discomfort in any of the scenes. Yeah, right. Um, so, and also you know it's it is it is doing some different. It's trying out some different moves uh, because in previous movies, basically, whoever is the virgin is the final girl. Yeah, right. But this movie's kind of at this point sending me mixed messages about who the final girl might is, be. One right, of them, yeah. One of them isn't necessarily a virgin, so I'm already. Kind because of... it does feel like Samantha might be our final girl in these moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that uh, Samantha, by the way, played by Judy Aronson, and I remember her from Weird Science. And there's there's a brunette and a blonde, and if you were seeing Weird Science at, when you were my age at that time, you kind of fell in love with Kelly LeBrock and those two young women. Sure. And you always had your favorites, and everybody always thought that the blonde was the more beautiful one, and I was I always thought, fuck you, to give me give me give me that brunette Judy Aronson is the most beautiful woman ever. And so then years later to watch this movie, and I'm like, hey, there, there, that's her. Oh my god. Yeah. It's so funny. And this is where we get um the introduction of Doug. Yeah. Wait, the mysterious hitchhiker. Who's he's, a great apparently a, a he's great hunting addition. bears. Uh, what I like about yeah, what I like about uh, uh, what I like about this movie is like throwing spanners in the work. So like instead of just being, you've got the kids, right? You've got your your demographic of horny teenagers on a trip. Mm-hmm. But around that, you've got a you've got a uh, a, a single parent family. And then you've yeah. got this mysterious hitchhiker who's a, kind of a visitor, but you don't know his intention. So, sure. dramatically, there's way more going on here than in the previous two movies, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Without putting a finer point on it as well, it doesn't feel cluttered or unclear. It just feels like, well, we're, we're, we're sort of, uh, we're exploring different narrative paths that the story could take. Yeah. Even though it's inevitably gonna have all the same conclusions. All the same, yeah, things. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, as, uh, obviously the dance is Crispin. It, it, yeah, the movie's worthwhile because it preserved this moment on film. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you know, and then narratively, I mean, so the kids are having their party, and we get Crispin Glover's dance, but then the killings are gonna start a coming. Yeah. And it's actually the woman that we thought might be our final girl is like the first person. Is she the first person in the raft? She is, yeah. Right? She's yeah. in the rubber. She gets killed in the rubber. Well, not first person in the movie, but the first in the. Yeah, right. Um, but of the kids. In the ensemble of, uh, of kids, yeah. So, she, yeah, she's lying. It's, it's interesting as well, like the setting of this of this kill, because it kind of visually rhymes with the, the endings of. Uh, well, all three previous movies, yeah. which is the the vulnerable female victim in a boat, in a boat, <laughs> right? Um, from previous films, and 
I mean, I this is one of the moments that I knew had been cut to shreds by the censors just from watching it, like having yeah. no background, because it was like you, you see the impaling moment and it's so brief and underlit. And it's like, well, this is what the sense. This is what in. they're going to let allow us to show you. Yeah, I was conscious of that, but I still it still reads uh, again because you're linking it to those moments in previous movies mm -hmm. where someone's in a, a vulnerable in a boat right. in the water. Um, it's the it's the essence of the series. Absolutely. I like that they again leaving that space for not questioning the behavior of like the 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 predatory behavior of, t of male teenagers but not entirely acquiescing to it you mean they stabbing in the, the dick <laughs> no no they they well i'll get to the dick spear but they when you cut back to the party and and uh one twin loses oh yeah yeah and <laughs> him and he goes after the other one at least they address the tastelessness of doing that right, right like right. it's not seen as a virtue the twin the twins are not just there as cock candy yeah, right. I mean, they are, but not just. You know, like there's there's still a sense of like <laughs> like they address both the both the kind of, you know, uh the But the, they feel the like real sexual... people still. Yeah, they address the sexual fantasy of the twins and that's obviously a big part of why they're there, mm -hmm. but it also addresses some of the kind of weirdness of that fantasy. You know sure. what I mean? Yes, it's like, right. like, what are you gonna just stop talking to one and then go after <laughs> right, the other? Right. <laughs> are you gonna have them in the same room together? That's weird. Because when you, you see know? somebody do that, it seems rather distasteful and rude. Yeah. But I, yeah, the dick spear is great. I like that they um it's almost like they included the the nad slice in the recap montage almost as a preview of this kill. <laughs> It's like, That's you good. thought this, these kills were good. And, I mean, again, speaking of quirkiness, there's the breaking of the bed. Yeah. And they, they get in the bed and it immediately breaks. And uh, then <laughs> there's probably the strangest and possibly most effective choice in this movie is having them watch silent movie porn. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which I sort of understand, like, because what they're watching is pre-code pornography, like it, the movies that Hollywood made before it was held to moral account by right. today's code. So, you know, it speaks to the ongoing battle of this series with the censors and, you know, the idea of a of a, of a more, uh, of a freer time in filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, the next movie is really heavy on the gore, mm -hmm. but I still get the sense that well, maybe these two movies, they, these are the two, maybe four and five were the ones that really kind of suffered. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in always kind of jockeying with the MPAA. I would argue that, it, that, you know, it's, it's, it's a bigger crime against this movie because this is such a better movie, but yeah, you know, yeah, no, I, I, I agree, but it's such an off, again, it's an offbeat way to fight back by having, yeah, porn films from the the nineteen tens totally playing in the background of your movie. <laughs> um, I like I like the I I like that choice a lot. Uh, also, I mean, we'll we'll well we'll get there later, but it's also kind of gives the gives it a kind of meta quality, which mm -hmm. is interesting too. And this is my my really on really my only kind of reservation about the movie is at this part this 
uh, mo- part of the movie, you get a lot of slow suspense scenes at night. Yeah. Which drag on a little bit. Like, Mom is kind of walking around, isn't mm-hmm. she? In the dark. And... Like, sometimes if you overcrank suspense, especially in a, when it's not lit properly, your, your interest can start to drift quite quickly. Yeah. But there, within it, I think there are moments that pop. I love the moment, you know, when the uh, twin gets stabbed, kind of, you Mm -hmm. see it in shadow with the lightning. Mm -hmm. That is a great, great, great effect. It is, yeah. No, absolutely. I just, you know, kind of, if I had to say something that, about the movie that I felt was uh, lacking, it would be, it would be that, that maybe they... They... I don't think it, I mean it doesn't happen for too long though. No, it's no. not not enough for your interest really to wane, right? No, but no, I don't think so, but it's you okay. know, I just think it's sort of dead time. Sure. In some of the some of these uh, scenes. Uh Jimmy gets his oats. Um <laughs> and he's apparently incredible. Yeah. Uh so yeah, and again, like along with the kid who makes animatronics, and the the, <laughs> the the nerd the nerd getting the girl and she, her telling him that he was incredible that he was this quite real, good. This is real nerd fantasy stuff, you know. This is <laughs> this is is straining. straining Maybe it the, can happen to me too. Yeah, exactly. Straining the realms of, of credulity. <laughs> it's kind of super bad, sort of. Uh, yeah, right, right. Aspect to it, and then you know the the. The the corkscrew moment that yeah, which starts as a punchline and then thanks to Savini's shocking makeup is uh, gets serious very quickly yeah big time so it starts as a laugh and then ends as a as a you know as a that looks in you know that's Look, terrifying yeah, it's terrifying incredible. because it's immediately followed by a hatchet to the head to the face it, yeah and it's the sex is death rule of course but applied to sure. the male which we haven't really man, done man. quite as much yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that so I like that I like that twist another great twist yeah. is the and I think I think right before that movie. more go on yeah no go ahead I was just gonna speak no, to no, the no, narrative again go, so go, you... okay I I, I yeah, think we like right before the corkscrew death. I realized that uh, Trish and Tommy come home. Mom's not there. The mm-hmm. lights are all out. I do think it's funny that she just says, "Okay, you stay here and don't you go anywhere." Just leaves them alone. But she's gonna she's gonna go find Doug, who's pitched a tent. Mm-hmm. And so there's some shenanigans there. Uh, at one point, I think Jason is outside the tent, but he's not in the tent. Mm-hmm. And then Trish comes to the tent and he slashes his own tent open. <laughs> that must have angered you. As, Speaking as, as a backpacker, who... I'll tell you something I would never do. <laughs> That's very upsetting. You ought to set up like, uh, you know, like those, um, those niche review sites that only review a movie from one particular perspective. Right. Yeah. You should do, do like a backpacker's, um, zero stars for Friday the 13th yeah the other thing you know 
we spoke about one of the tw- one of the twins who's not getting laid or uh, actually I think it's better than that because she's actually not interested in anybody. Right. Genuinely yeah. interested in anybody. So she's mm-hmm. going to leave and she's the one that gets lightning stabbed. Meanwhile, her sister is fucking Crispin Glover and then Crispin gets it downstairs. Narratively, they have to cover some stuff up. I mean, if a corkscrew went through my hand, I think I'd scream, but Hmm. But they cover not it well. You, again, not if you were Crispin Glover, necessarily. Yeah, that's true. He's that's, a man who makes strange choices yes, in life. That's, that is true. But what I like is that enough time passes that the, the other twin is upstairs and hmm. sort of looking for, like, well, where'd she go? What happened to her? She looks out and sees, like, a shadow or something that looks like her, and you get one of two great stunts in this movie that are... Yeah so far above board in terms of how good they are and how well they're shot that each time I watch these movies, I'm astounded all over again when I watch Mm -hmm. them. And I just think it's fantastic. And so Jason is going to be grabbing her through the wind, throwing her Mm -hmm. through coming through a window and throwing her out and like tracking her falling and hitting the roof of a car. It's great. It's so good. Yeah, more window action is essential to these movies. Oh yeah, it's their bread and, again, and butter. And again, it feels it's like a tribute, isn't it? It's sort of like we've got to, we, it's the the greatest hits. We've got to get everything in one more time, <laughs> right? Um, but 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 hopefully better than ever. And that's and that's say, what yeah, that's point. what they're yeah. going for, and I think achieve. And um, this is so yeah, it's a, it's around here that we find out that Doug Doug is the brother of. One of the victims from part two. The curly-haired girl with the blonde... The the, the two right. at the payphone in part two. I'm not too... Yeah, I'm not too worried about identifying here because I don't think either the I'm not sure the, the movie has, yeah. Knew, <laughs> yeah, knew they would do who his sister was. Right. Uh, and then he's got the newspaper clippings that, that refer back to the original. And I pointed out as a weakness of the last film that, you know, nobody ever finds out the, the Jason story like no one knows it right yeah so we've gone back to those you know <laughs> the newspaper clippings we've got the the the, the as, fiscal reviews yes the, as sequels must <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah of course it's a classic imbass newspaper clippings oh yeah um but and it also it, it reminds us that as as much as we might make fun of the discontinuities between these movies they are trying to operate within a single storyline yeah right haphazardly but <laughs> yes unsuccessfully but still the, the but attempting there to, to link the movies <laughs> together in some fashion and sure I, I like i appreciate that touch and it's just, and again it's essential for the end the, those clippings are essential for the storyline mm-hmm. because yeah right they inform, they inform the ending um how it turns out we're back to shower sex yeah, sure. <laughs> Steamy for us, but marks out whoever's having a shower for death. Yeah. Again, sort of like every every one of these movies has some kind of tribute slash inversion uh, <laughs> to Psycho. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's kind of it, it's interesting. But it's this interesting is, this that is the, this I is think, the you first know... movie where someone actually gets killed in the shower. Yes. Right. Because yeah. every time it's been a fake out. Right. Exactly. So far. So this is the movie that had the balls to finally the, the, exactly. kill in the shower. And, you know, it's funny because with sequels, we talk about uh, 
the idea that sequels have to kind of one up the one upsmanship of them. Mm-hmm. We got to raise the stakes. And yep. this is trying to raise the stakes on 1960s Psycho by, you know, we don't have a curtain. We've got a glass door glass as, right. al- as always with these movies, but hands through the glass and literally, you know, what's his, uh, I think it's Doug, right? Doug getting his, yeah. his, his, the back of his head and the, well, the back of his head against the, the shower or, or the wall and the front of his face with Jason's dirty hand. Yeah. But you get yeah. that you get that I, same I mean, Janet Lee that, shot an, of his yeah. of his feet, mm-hmm. but yes. except they're surrounded with glass. It's fucking great. It's a great little homage. And it's another window. It's another piece of window action. Oh yeah, <laughs> but windows, indoor window action. <laughs> yeah, I think I think maybe right before that murder, Ted gets it. I think does Ted get it first in yeah, the, he gets, the movie uh, screen. Uh, I have it. Yes, he does get it first. Yes, and as he, I recall in his Crystal Lake, Crystal Lake memories, this is the moment where he said, "Well, the character's stoned. Maybe I should try to be stoned." <laughs> and that's what—that's what I really. Again, that points to the, 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 the contrast between the the representation of the characters from the last movie. Yeah. Because he's less conspicuous as a stoner than Cheech and Chong were. Yes, right. Cheech and Lady Chong. <laughs> they're total archetypes he's not an archetype of a stoner but not only is he actually stoned on screen but you know if you've ever spent any time with stoners his version of a stoner much, right is much more authentic than theirs yes <laughs> because he's just he's just permanently smiling taking in everything <laughs> taking in everything he's looking at the film again by just pulling it anything. down <laughs> Yeah, not doing anything substantial. There's no dialogue. There's no jokes. Because uh, he's always by himself. No yeah, he's he's like holding teddy bears. Was it teddy bears or what's it? What's he holding? The yeah. It, it, well, it's this movie has the confidence to sort of just give him screen time to be, mm-hmm. and it come it, it reads much better than you know having devised comedic bits. Yeah. Uh, and this, this and I think uh, I think the last one in this in this house for now is Sarah gets gets the axe through the door right. That's Doug's girlfriend. Yeah, I, I, and, and it's his, cool looking. Ted's kill, yeah, Ted's kill is great. I mean, the, oh, the, so good. The looping film reel and the knife through the screen, and I think it looks ahead to the metatextuality of movies like Scream. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think a choice like this could be like a forebearer of what happens at the beginning of screen two, you know, where they have a, a move, murder in a movie theater. Movie theater. Yeah. Yeah. So I found that very forward looking in terms of, but you know, it, it, well, it's not unlike scream. It's not the point of the film in the same way, but no, it, as an added metatextual touch, I think it's really interesting. But I talked about this West in the Brain ranking influenced by it. Hmm. Right. And I talked about this in the ranking episode where I see other movies borrowing from these sequels. Yeah. And these sequels are, have always been, you know, we've also talked about how they've been derided as mm-hmm. lesser than, but when other movies are borrowing from your shit, how bad are you? No, absolutely. Yeah. They, well, in good movies too. Yeah. And you know, they, they honed a lot of the techniques for making slasher movies or even just general horror movies in these films mm-hmm. between Joseph Zito, Steve Miner and uh, 
yes, Danny Steinman. There's some great kills in, mm-hmm. in the next movie. And, of course, Tom McLaughlin. They, they, you can see the influence of their approach to slasher filmmaking in the next 20, 30 years of, of horror cinema. Yeah, totally. Well, we're about... It's... Sorry. No, I was say it's a chicken and an egg situation because yeah, they're right. ripping off everybody else and then everyone else starts to rip off them. Off them, yeah. They're right in the middle of that. That's interesting. They're in the weeds. of. You uh, could you can start off being the borrower and end yeah. up being the one borrowed from. That's cool. Exactly, yeah. That's 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 the, the story of this series, I yeah. think. Yeah, and I, you know, what... I think it's the sort of thing that happens when you, you know, I'll, I'll go to Mancuso Jr., I'll give him the credit for finding good people yeah, and then giving them the autonomy to do good work. Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, letting them do it. Mm-hmm. Well, we're about to get to, you know, our, our, our main heroes are about to, <laughs> to uh, start getting killed and chased. Why don't we take another break and come back? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. We'll do that then. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back. to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. Back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here finishing up with a damn good movie, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Yeah. This is some good shit. It really is, yeah. And I, I, was, I was saying off mic that I, I probably the, the fewest amount of notes. Yeah, you were just watching it, huh? <laughs> I, yeah, which speaks to both how I'm transfixed and also, you know, I, I, I haven't necessarily... It's not wholly clear to me why this movie is as good, <laughs> as, good as it is. <laughs> There is some magical elixir that can't be accounted for by crit- film criticism. I think it speaks... So it's, it's just a matter of observing that yeah. without really commenting on it because I don't know what to say because I, I, I wonder if the people who worked on this movie even quite understood what they had on that. Maybe. Head. I mean, for one, I think it speaks well of the film because I can't imagine you not taking a lot of notes. <laughs> 
I mean, so... it's all relative. It's still a lot of notes, but you know, there are times where it's it's just like that's a really that's a really cool dance, and yeah, right. You know, I guess I guess all you know, try, trying to figure out what the what the formula is, you know, and it's like, well, Napoleon Dynamite has that as too. It has this awkward, weird perform central performance, and you know, there's a dance moment in it, yeah. which you know looks spontaneous but is obviously choreographed very yeah right right yeah well and i think we've got a moment coming up you've been speaking to the idiosyncratic moments of this movie and Mm -hmm. one of these moments at least for me i dismissed it first because it made me laugh out loud and then i went back and watched it again with Mm. a new intent and it's when doug is killed Okay. Do you know what I'm referring to? No, not at all. No, tell me. He's killing me. He's killing me. Uh huh. Just the idea when I, you know, I think it's a gardening tool. He and Trish uh-huh. are walking around the house. They're looking around. They go down into the basement. Oh yes, of course. Yes, yes, yes. And out of nowhere. Jason pops up and he just starts hacking at Doug and Doug starts mm-hmm. screaming, he's killing me. He's killing me. Which to me was a very funny line the first time I heard it. Yeah. And so I laughed out loud. I just, I loved seeing that moment. And then mm-hmm. maybe four minutes later, I just paused the movie and I started thinking about was that movie, was that moment less honest or rather, was it more honest than I gave it yeah, credit for? It is, and it is. I think it's a, it's a, it, it gives that scene a tragic dimension. It does when you go back and she, yeah, she has to, just, she basically has to you decide know, fight or flight. Flight, yeah, exactly. It's fight or flight, and and you know, the horror movies have those pivotal moments. Mm-hmm. They feed off them. So wherever you can throw one in, I think wherever you can throw in a like a human dilemma in the middle of a horror movie, I think uh, it's it, it, it's it the the genre really welcomes that those right. those uh, scenarios. You know, and we haven't spoken about this yet, but I think Ted White, who's Jason in this movie, I think it's my favorite Jason performance. Mm-hmm. Sure. Of the movies we've watched. Uh. The other movies, you have some some slow walk lumbering, you know. I think they're tr- oh, I, I mean, it's, I think it's they're all over. they're trying to do a Michael Myers. Yeah. Uh, two, he's no, a, I, I, he's I, a little I, more speedy and two, but he has that goofy, uncoordinated, childlike qualities as he's doing it definitely. as well. That's that that's that's the the big drawback. And in this one, Jason yeah. will run after you, and he feels like a freight train you cannot stop, mm-hmm. and that is frightening. Yeah, he's also speaking to you know another Michael Myers hangover. He's uh, displaying craft and intelligence in his killing by cutting the phone line. Yeah, right. Sneaky. So that's a that's a sneaky Michael Myers. He's got a sneaky. He's got a sneaky aspect to him. I like. The direct and the director's also got a great sense of parallel editing between the two different uh, situations. So you know, the, b- before we get into the house with Tommy and Trish, we're kind of cutting between the two houses. Yeah, right. And yeah, we're going back and forth. Interplay really, really well. well yeah. Uh, 
you know, like the axe is coming through the door and Tommy's coming down the stairs. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just, I think it's really well um, handled. We get another rat. Because it's choreographed. It feels choreographed. Yeah. Yeah, and, and another, another rat. rat. So, again, you know, greatest hits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Completing the franchise. And don't we have, I believe Trish goes, she uh, once again tells Tommy to stay put and she goes over to the yep. other house herself, right? Mm-hmm. And Tommy's, Tommy reads the reviews of the first three movies. Yeah, right. He's, and I like he, that, uh, I like that Corey Feldman himself talks about how are we going, you know, he, he says, how are we going to kill the guy in the end? What do you have to do? You have to use intelligence. Yeah. I love that the and actors I, I, say that. And I get what he's saying intellectually about yeah. making himself look like Jason. But whenever I see him cutting and then sh- like quickly shaving yeah. his own head, I have the sense that maybe Tommy wasn't all right to begin with. <laughs> maybe the weird kid well, was weirder than we thought. Yeah. Absolutely, hence the last shot of the movie. Yeah, uh, and my note is it's it's not a terrible way for him to be able to manipulate Jason. <laughs> Obviously, it calls back. You know, it, well, it's a complete callback to the end of two. Yeah, right. You know, the the ch- the child psychologist trying to dupe him, but it's a it's an Im- well, we're not quite there yet, but it's a sort of it's an inversion of that as well because he because Tommy wants him to see to he see wants himself, Jason to see. To see himself yeah. as opposed to his mother, but it's the same idea. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, I guess it's linked. It's the child psychologist training was the was the impetus in two. Mm-hmm. The impetus here is this is a kid who you know enjoys make believe and yeah right is a aspiring makeup artist and prosthetics designer and this is all related to that side of his character right. And he's got access to the to the story of Jason, so he can he can create a fictional scenario based on that. Mm-hmm. So it, what I say, it's not terrible at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, you know, like you you don't want to think too much about it, but at the same time, it it sort of barely stands up to scrutiny. Yeah, I think the biggest problem I think is the artist's impression of Jason in the newspaper clippings, <laughs> because. He, that means Jason has to go from that to Muscle Mary in five years. Yeah, sure. It's like, come on. He's 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 really pumping logs out there, you know. He's yeah, curling logs. Just... Uh, and we get the classic House of Horrors moment with corpses being discovered. Yeah, the right very you know very Halloween. Yeah, uh, Halloween and. The rip of Halloween. Including earlier in this series, series. yeah. (laughs) But I also think there... I wonder if this was intentional on Joseph Zito's part, because once she leaves that house and she comes back into her own home and she's she's trying to nail windows shut, it seemed to me that that was a moment designed to have the audience say, just leave, bitch! Like, fucking start running, you know? Well, it, it sounds like Joseph Zito's on top of that, yeah. so uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised. But they, they draw it out nicely, I think, yeah. before Rob is thrown through the window. Mm-hmm. There's also the... Um, is it Rob who gets a... Uh, who gets a TV smashed over the head? Jason. Is it Rob? 
Oh, that's right. It's Jason, isn't Trish it? Trish gets Jason. And, I, and speaking of, that's right. And speaking of, you know, influencing other franchises. Yeah, Scream. Is it Night, Nightmare, uh, Nightmare 3? Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Ready for primetime, bitch. Ready for primetime, bitch. <laughs> um, but that's, this is prior, so. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And also, you know, in all of these films, if you see anything once, it will it will have some function in the plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you if you look at something for more than two seconds on screen, <laughs> it's gonna play a part at some sure. point. Sure. And we've seen that TV. We've had a shot of that TV, so we know. <laughs> and I like because we talked in two about toggling back and forth between uh, the victim and Jason's point of view. Yeah. In this one, we do have some toggling back and forth between suspense and flight, a terror kind of moments. Because after, I think it's right after she hits him with the TV, she's trying to sneak around him. Yes. It's a good moment, you know, and it builds and well, builds. And I mean, then all of a sudden you see his hand kind of go around, I think, an axe. There's a great, uh, you know, back to basic suspense moment when they they block the door of the room and he's trying to get through mm-hmm. and you know you have that sense of oh okay now we've got time and then he starts to break through the door and push everything goes oh, actually no you yeah, don't you don't time. so it's, it's <laughs> and, and that's again that's very back to basics that's right. like you know textbook but in a way that you know it's a classic for a reason and now because we see her we see her nailing the window shut. Isn't this also the moment I, that he throws the hammer? Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that moment. That, that moment is awesome. Because he breaks through the door, and then he's got a hammer in his hand, and he wings it right at Trish's head, and it mm-hmm. hits the wall. Everything to do with that hammer is really gruesome. It doesn't feel... It goes into his neck, too. When he, yeah. when he grabs Tommy through the window. It doesn't feel... Um like the movie's holding back at those moments yes exactly uh and she does what everyone in in the series should have done at this uh, previously which is to just jump out the window nah, right so it's like an like J- if jason's continually attacking through the window all you have to like remember it's like tom stoppard every every entrance every <laughs> entrance is, is an, an exit. exit to somewhere else yeah <laughs> just jump right out of the window but I like that moment where where Doug comes through the window, but they're kind of they're mm-hmm. backing away from it because they think he's going to come right through. And yeah. you you wait just long enough to think maybe Jason's fucking with him and he's going to leave him alone. And that's when he comes through the window and grabs Tommy. And even mm-hmm. Corey Feldman himself said, "I've never been more terrified <laughs> than that moment." <laughs> I like you know. Uh, yeah, no, I, absolutely. It's, it's But when you also go back yeah. to Ted White, he I I don't think he liked Corey Feldman too much. They didn't get on. They didn't get on too get well. On so he he really kind of wanted to throttle him. So I like the idea that he goes through that window and giving Corey yeah. Feldman the business. And there was even the, like again, nothing in these movies is wasted. There's like an innocuous line early on that, that Tommy needs a haircut. Mm-hmm. And now we see him cutting his like, hair. <laughs> we see him shaving his head. So it's like nothing. Nothing that happens in the movie is is ever a one time deal. It's always gonna get called back at some point. And you know, it's funny because narratively, it seems like 
It seems like a bad idea because it's going to take too much time for this kid to cut his hair and shave his head. Yeah. But they cover it just fine because Jason starts ch- chasing Trish to the next house and we're going to get the best stunt in the entire movie out of it. Do you know what really covers it? I mean, you know, that that's, en- that's enough, but what really covers it is he's not smooth. Yeah. He's got little bits of hair. Yeah, yeah. There. So you can suspend disbelief that, you know, he, he did as good a job as he could, but he didn't have time to To do it well it or perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I spoke about it before. Jason is running after Trish. He is not mm-hmm. moving slowly. Her life is in peril yeah. and danger. It raises the stakes. He chases her up the stairs. They have this moment of facing off, which is fantastic. And he can see now. Yeah. I guess that's the difference. He was quite fast in part that's two, helpful. but he kept falling over. <laughs> now, now he can see. But Trish jumping out that window, Yeah, I look at that shot and think to, because there's a rail outside when she, she mm-hmm. jumps out mm-hmm. the window and then through two pieces of wood, but the ra- she goes under a rail after jumping out yeah. a window. To me, it's like a magic trick. Yeah, it is, yeah. It yeah. feels like it must have happened by accident, and I imagine if I was Joseph Zito, I would think, did you? I would say out loud, did you get that? Did you fucking get that? Because that was perfect. It'll never happen that perfect yeah. again, you know? Yeah. It's one of the right, most exactly. incredible stunts I've ever seen. It's so fucking good. I love it. Same with The, the Spy Who Loved Me, that stunt. You, you see, you know, say, the stuntman's seconds away from getting impaled with a... Um, with a ski, mm-hmm. but it just misses him. I mean, is this, this? I mean, this is why this is why audiences are yearning for sure, right. practical stunts in their movies. So much so that you know they'll they'll watch as many Mission Impossible movies as they'll release. Sure, <laughs> just to see that one shot where of Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise breaking died. his ankle. Yeah, <laughs> or just just nearly nearly dying. Yeah, and you know it's now it's the end of the hockey mask, mm-hmm. um, acting as if it's been there all the time. wasn't added halfway through the last movie, <laughs> but you know it's uh, the hockey mask has uh, sort of become the the icon. Of, it's, it's even in the it's in the title credits for yeah. this movie, so it's become synonymous with Jason. Even though it's he only got it halfway, halfway through, through the, the last movie. movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're wrapping up brand new mythology. Yeah, yeah it is. And then we get another of these of these moments. Is the same in part two where they, they like you see Jason. They see Jason's face, which, by the way, is completely different every time. Yeah, it is. Right. <laughs> they think there's continuity um, within it, but I would swear um, sometimes that droopy no. eye is on the opposite side of the last time it completely. was. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes he has hair. Sometimes he's bald. Yeah. Sometimes he's a little, you know, kid. He's a boy. Sometimes he's a big man. But yeah, it's not consistent across or within the movies. No. But the thing that gets me as well is like the sh- like they always have to have the shock moment of, of the the moment of repulsion. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Did you think he was handsome under there? What's the surprise? What's the shock? And but they give Jason. Again, I, I think I mentioned in previous episodes that Zombie was taboo on this and I believe the previous movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they would never say zombie, that Jason was a zombie, but they would they would go right up to that line. Right, yeah. Um, as much as possible. 
but this is giving Jason the zombie kill, isn't it? Like it's the it's the spike through the head. Yeah, which right. Is how you how you finish off a zombie? You go for the brain. Oh, it's a cool Tom Savini, though, isn't it? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. No, and I so I think I think the machete to the top effect. of the head. The machete to the top of the head with the slide down when he falls to you know he falls to the floor. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. And it has to be because it has to convince us that even that we're done. Jason is dead now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even the twice resurrected Jason right. is now dead. Um, so that's why it's a like a it's a zombie kill in a way. It has to be all on screen. And I spoke to this in the ranking episode, but again, well, for you, we go back to slow motion, which is how these movies kind of end in the last moment of yep. trying to kill Jason. And I think it always, Greatest I think hits. it always works too. And greatest hit. Well, you got to do it because it's great. Yeah, this right. Is the last one. And then on top of it, the, 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 <laughs> the, the, as, the yeah, as far as we knew at the time. But uh, the one thing I remember all kids talking about was, you know, I don't think we knew he was Corey Feldman yet, but this kid's got the machete and slow motion going ape, going shit. ape shit and saying, die, hun- die, three die. Yes. And he was sick to boot. You believe it? He's clearly sick. I mean, that's <laughs> it, it. Yeah, but he just keeps like it, it's. He just keeps going, and it's another. It's one of the lightning in a bottle moments yeah. on a different. And you know, obviously, the anecdote about him being having a high fever at the time is is part. It shows that it's like on another day. There's another day at another time of day. He would never. Right. He wouldn't be. It wouldn't have gone to that extreme. But again, we caught it on film. This this just this murderous madness yeah. and you know even if you didn't have the look at camera from this no show, yeah you, you don't need it i mean of, oh the series could carry on with tommy as the yeah killer. sure but it's yeah. funny because the way it's shot the way it's filmed in the middle of it you start asking yourself what is this going to do to tommy you yeah. already have that sense that's fantastic mm-hmm. you know that's a that's a great little turn of filmmaking to me yeah and and it's you know the the, the twist of kind of it there's a new jason and we'll continue the sequels through him mm-hmm. and this is where you know this is this is where halloween and friday the 13th pass each other <laughs> yeah. ships in the right. night because halloween 4 will take this idea mm-hmm. for jamie stroke yeah right because that film hasn't been made yet um and then Halloween 5 will blow it just as badly as, <laughs> just as Friday the 13th. Part 5 blew it. But yeah, it's the same thing. You know, it ends on a cliffhanger that opens the door for the new series. Mm-hmm. Is, is, the, is, the, is the child victim become... Is he, the, is, is he now the yeah. evil? Is he and now even the producers evil at the time would have said, you know, it's funny because the latest incarnation of the Halloween series has picked up this idea, the idea of evil being infectious and passing it on. Yeah. You know, and dying tonight. Yes. Uh, (laughs) No, absolutely. I think, I I think uh, it it, it reminds you that some, again, best left unsolved. Sometimes these ideas are better as potential than the realization. Yeah, right. Uh, you sort of, because you have an idea in your mind that's like, oh, why didn't New Beginning 
go like follow through on the idea that that Tommy becomes the new Jason. Well, because why did because why he did, was doing Goonies Alan... and Gremlins. <laughs> no, well, yeah, obviously not the the in world reason, um, and uh, with Jamie Strode, you go oh, that you know they set this all up and then they they backed away from right. it, but would they have been able to pull it off? I don't know. Right. Well, Halloween, Halloween, I dare say no. Absolutely not. Yeah, the answer is the answer is no. Well, no for me. I mean, there you have it. Uh, I think this might be the the high watermark, other than the first move of the sequels, right? In terms of uh, ratings, ratings for like Rotten Tomatoes. What did you say? Twenty four percent. I thought no. I think, part uh, two was twenty nine percent. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it being higher. All right. Um, oh, and I forgot. Six is really high. It's like fifty percent. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay, well, we'll we'll just we'll we'll tackle that when we yeah. get there. Um, but at any rate, yeah, that's the... one of the best. Where wherever yep. you put it, it's close to the top. Definitely, definitely. I think, and it, it, I think it creates a conversation about uh, part fours. Mm. Like, uh, is there a, is there a kind of a a renaissance? Maybe because Halloween four is in good. The part four. <laughs> Although in the Nightmare series, people gravitate, I think, more to three. But four is very but well, well. I don't know. I mean, we've got. We've got ha- um, Rennie Harlan tinted glasses, so True. I don't know if. Uh, but I'd speak. Up, I'd certainly speak up for that. Maybe, yeah. For the for Nightmare Four, uh, I don't know if it applies elsewhere. Uh, I guess a die, die Hard. Uh, what's that? What's it called? Live Free die or hard. Die Hard. Live Free or Die Hard. Die Hard Four Point <laughs> in the UK. Um, I mean that's an achievement. Uh, yeah. I, I, so you know, I I would open that conversation based on uh, a few examples that we've. We've, for we've sure so far. well uh credit check we'll continue to see yeah uh so the list of returning cast members who only feature in archive footage is getting longer longer and longer and longer yeah for sure <laughs> so it's either this or fan films that's basically <laughs> how these actors keep going perfect um uh, they relitigate the stunt double controversies of part two by listing both the jason stuntman but the jason stuntman but not the actor Okay. Listing Jason as a stuntman. So they finally realized that. Well, they just, hired an actual just, stuntman, so. <laughs> you hire yeah. the. Right, you hire the stuntman and he's Jason. And now they're saying Jason, like Jason's stuntman. Come on, no. He's the actor. <laughs> Let's not get into this again. Extra casting by Complete Casting Service Incorporated, which sounds awfully made up. Right. If I, I would never reply to an email no. from Complete Casting Service Incorporated. That's a, that's a casting couch. My information would be gone. That's a cou- in sixty yeah, seconds. Yeah, that's a casting couch I want no part of. <laughs> I'm gonna have to pay for those auditions <laughs> that don't exist. Love is a lie, performed by Lion. Uh, Lion is in <laughs> scare quotes. Oh, is it? <laughs> and no, and no other, no other recording artist is in quotes. 
So is this his secret? Is this a secret alias? Is this like Elton John or something? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then finally, um, two credits I noticed: Flashlight Man and Running Man. Both sound like dances of the time. Right. Both sound like dances of the time, but only the latter would become. <laughs> I'd, I'd, maybe uh, when you listen to the when you're dancing to the Harry Manfredi part three soundtrack, you're doing the flashlight man. Maybe, yeah, right. Was that it? That's it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, is in the books. You're going to have to tell us what you think. Uh, we're big, big fans. This movie's... This movie's good. Another another thought I had while we were talking about it today... Again, this is not the final chapter. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we give them the benefit of the doubt that that's what they were making, it puts pay to the, the theory that what Rise of Skywalker needed was like two movies to finish the series. Mm-hmm. Because this is both a great movie in its own right and the perfect ending to Friday the 13th. Sure, so it is possible. Right, yeah. It is possible to sort of, you know, be a servant to two masters if you're. Yeah. If you've got your shit together. Yeah, shit. yeah, if you can get it together. Hmm. So. Well said, sir. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you're going to have to tell us what you think, ladies and gentlemen. You know what to do. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and nothing else. Send an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. <laughs> oh, come on. He's supporting Russell Brand. <laughs> He's supporting the vi- the victims of uh, <laughs> mainstream media conspiracies against people who have a lot of sex. Yeah. I have nothing more to say on the matter. No, well, no, I, I, I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> <laughs> haven't, haven't heard from our lawyers in a while. I think, uh, yeah, I think, think we're probably due a call. Yeah, we're always good. For... I think that's them. Actually, I think that's them. No, yeah, we're this. always good for some slander somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh... <laughs> 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 All right, that's it for Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter. When you hear us next, we'll be talking Friday the 13th. We're back to numbers. Well, back to Roman numerals. Uh, we're going... Then numbers. Yeah, we're going back... No, back new, Roman numerals, then words. Yes, yes. So Friday the 13th, part five. It's a new beginning. I'm saying it's a new beginning. That's not part of the title. But... Yeah. <laughs> it's a new beginning. That was amazing. <laughs> All right, for Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. We'll be back next week. Say goodbye to everybody, Tom. Axel, you are the Super Bowl of self-abuse. <laughs> I think this. I think that was the 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 line that made me fall in love with the movie. Yeah, that's in the in the hospital. That's in the yeah. the in the coroner's office. It's good stuff. Yeah, Backler. The Super Bowl of self abuse. <laughs> we'll let those be the final words. So long, everyone. <laughs>